Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you again uh, this week. And I want to invite you to turn to that passage that Elizabeth's been talking to us from, uh, which is in Exodus. And it's Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, you've already got a fair idea uh, of, of what it's about. So uh, that will make it easier as you, as you follow the, the reading. So Exodus 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, and father-in-law of Moses heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws, and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, and have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands... You will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel 
and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. And so we pray and ask God to guide us as we reflect on his word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you that um, even in these, in these times, um, with, all of the, with all of the uncertainty, um, with all of the challenges that, uh, that, they, that they mean, Lord, that there is still the opportunity for us to have these weekly reminders of who you are. And so we come to you and uh, we bring ourselves to listen to your word. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you'd guide us and help us as we reflect on it this morning and that you'd bless it to each one of us, whatever our circumstances. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a little story yesterday about an efficiency expert. I don't know if there are any business consultants in the room. Uh, I would imagine that some of you have probably had uh, some dealings with them from time to time. But this efficiency expert was, had been giving a lecture on his chosen topic. He came to the end of uh, talking about his subject and he, uh, he said to the folks, he said, now listen, you need to be very careful that you don't take the things that I have talked to you about and try to apply them at home. Uh, people were puzzled as to why that should be and so one person in the audience uh, raised his hand and asked the question, so could you explain why we shouldn't try this at home? And so the efficiency expert began to explain and he explains how that he, uh, he used to watch his wife as she prepared breakfast in their house and he noticed that she would go to the fridge, the table, uh, the cooker, uh, the cabinets and often would just carry one thing at a time to and fro as, as she prepared breakfast. Uh, and when he broached the subject, he then broached the subject with her, uh, applying some of his efficiency uh, skills. And the person then said to him, well, what happened? Did, did, did your advice save time? He said, well, as a matter of fact, it did. It used to take my wife 20 minutes every morning to prepare breakfast. It now only takes me 10 minutes. Now, um, you maybe need to let that, that point sink in a little, a little bit. Uh, I think when we think about this character Jethro in the Old Testament, he's a, he's a character that I've come to appreciate more uh, in, in recent times. But when we, when we think about Jethro, we tend to think of him essentially as some sort of very primitive uh, efficiency expert. Uh, and the whole episode that, that takes up about half of the chapter uh, where he looks at what Moses is doing as he goes about the process of judging the people. Um, he looks at all of that and he says, well, I, I, can explain a, I can explain a better way. And so you've maybe heard Jethro talked about as the first management consultant in the Bible. Well, we'll say a little bit about that um, uh, in, in part, of, uh, part of what we want to see about him this morning. But I want to suggest to you that there's actually more to him than simply regarding him as an efficiency expert. Uh, remember this overall, the overall title of this series that you're working through in these chapters in Exodus, Exodus is Travelling Mercies. It's the journey 
that the people of Israel are making, having come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai, uh, where they will, they will meet with God, and Moses will receive the Ten Commandments, which will become uh, part of that covenant that God is establishing with his people. And along the way, there are these traveling mercies. And some of what you've already seen uh, is, is that part of the traveling mercies include God providing water for people as they, as they travel through the desert. Uh, part of the traveling mercies is food, the manna, the quail that, that drop out of the sky. And last week, we thought about what happened in chapter 17, uh, where, where they were, the Israelites were attacked by Amalek, a hostile group of people, who attacked them. And the traveling mercy that God gave to them in that was this remarkable victory, this military victory that came about as Joshua fought with the sword, but Moses stood on the mountain with his staff, uh, the symbol of the power and the authority of God, and, and the people were rescued from Amalek. Jethro is part of the traveling mercies, uh, specifically because of his work, if you like, as an efficiency expert. But those, the mercies are, are not just they're not just one way. It's not just about what Jethro offers to Moses and the people. But what we discover in this chapter is that the mercy of God is not just limited to the Israelites. The mercy of God overspills and reaches outsiders, people like Jethro, who was a Midianite. Now, I want to give you uh, three words about Jethro, three words that describe him. They all begin with F, so I think they're going to be fairly easy to remember. I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll just take a little bit of time on each of the three of them and, and explore some of the, the significance. But the first thing we're going to notice about Jethro is that he's a foreigner. He comes from Midian. He's not an Israelite. So he's a foreigner. Second thing we're going to notice about him is that he is a father, or specifically a father-in-law father-in-law to Moses. And the third thing we're going to see about him is, and I, I probably haven't to stretch the point a little bit just so that I could find another word beginning with F, but I'm going to call him a friend. He was a friend to the, to the people because he, he responded in concern when he saw some of the things that he felt were going to wear them out. And so out of concern, he provides wise advice like a friend. So a foreigner, a father, and a friend. First one, then is that he is a foreigner. If you look right back, if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, uh, you see that he's described, before he's described as the father-in-law of Moses, he's described as the priest of Midian. Now, we'll discover in a, in a few moments that his story actually begins earlier than chapter 18. We go, we'll go back to Exodus chapter 2. Uh, but we'll, we'll, get there, we'll get there in due course. But what we need to notice is he's a Midianite. Now, the Midianites, uh, you'll find them uh, a bit like the Amalekites, you'll find them in various parts of the Old Testament story interacting with Israel. Here you have Jethro, who is a Midianite, who comes and is quite helpful to Israel. Uh, later on, for example, if you come to the book of Judges and you find the story of Gideon, uh, the people that Gideon is having to deal with, who, who are oppressing the Israelites at that particular point, are the Midianites. So you'll find their story uh, runs a, a little bit along uh, and intersects with the story of Israel. Uh, the Midianites were descended from Abraham. So like the Israelites, they were descended from Abraham. So there was a kind of a, a they were distant, uh, very, dis very distant cousins. 
And one of the things that I think it's important for us to notice about Exodus chapter 18 and the fact that Jethro is a Midianite and how he responds to Israel, we need to set that alongside chapter 17, which we looked at last week, and Amalek, another group of foreigners, and how they responded to Israel. Amalek responded to Israel, probably viewed them as, as threatening, uh, saw an opportunity to, to stop them, to disrupt them, and so they attacked them. Hostility towards Israel. Jethro the Midianite, on the other hand, responds warmly to the Israelites. He responds with friendship and with kindness and with encouragement to them. And very simply, you have that contrast between two foreigners, Amalek and Jethro the Midianite. One is hostile and one is friendly. And I think it's a reminder to us, isn't it, before we, before we really get into any of the detail of the story, but it's a reminder to us, for, for all of us, that, that people respond to, to God in different ways, don't they? People respond to the gospel in different ways. Maybe even among folk in the room. Uh, there are different responses to the, to the gospel. Some respond with hostility. Don't want it. Some respond warmly and positively. So the, there is this idea then that, that Jethro, the, the, the foreigner, uh, stands in contrast to Amalek, an, another foreigner. And there are two significant things that are associated in the chapter with Jethro as a foreigner. I'm going to take the second of them first. I'm just going to mention it now because we're going to dwell on it a, a little further towards the end. Um, but the second thing is from really from verse 13 down, and it's the advice that he gives to Moses. How should Moses organize this system of listening to disputes and of judging the people? Now, what's remarkable about that is that here is Moses, the leader of the Israelites, the man of God, the servant of God, who's going to receive the Ten Commandments from God, and he's actually receiving advice about how to organize this system from someone who's on the outside. That's an unusual travelling mercy, isn't it? But the other thing to notice, the first thing to notice, because it's in the first part of the chapter, is the spiritual journey that Jethro is on. He's the priest of Midian. Now, he's known Moses for about 40 years. Um, Moses met him fairly soon after he had left Egypt, way back in, in, in chapter 2. And, and again, we're going we're to come to that. But he has known him for 40 years. Moses has been part of his family for 40 years. Moses has actually been, has actually been working for him. Uh, he, was, uh, he was looking after his flocks. We, we, know, we know that. That was for at least part of the 40 years that, that, he, that he stayed with him uh, in, in, his, in Moses' own Midianite exile. And you wonder, uh, you wonder how much uh, Jethro must have picked up from Moses about the Lord. What did Moses talk to him about? Did he, did he explain uh, some of the promises? Did he explain uh, some of the hopes that he had as a Hebrew? At any rate, in verse 11, having come to visit, because of what he's heard, he's heard that God has been at work uh, doing things for the Israelites. He has sat down with Moses and they've had a conversation. Moses has told him about everything that the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians about how the Lord has saved them through all the hardships they've met along the way. And in verse, first of all, verse 9, Jethro is delighted 
In verse 10, he says, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. And in verse 11, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And he's either referring to the Egyptian people under Pharaoh at that point, or perhaps he's referring to the Egyptian gods and the whole uh, battle that there was between the Lord and the, and the Egyptian gods in the earlier chapters of, of Exodus. But he comes to this point where he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. That little expression where he says, Now I know, occurs in a couple of other times in the Old Testament. One of them is in the story of a man called Naaman which many of you will be familiar with. Naaman was a Syrian, much later in the story of Israel. He's a Syrian. Uh, He was a military commander. He was a person who was very distinguished, of great standing. Naaman had leprosy. And in Naaman's house, there was a a, a, a young uh, Israelite servant girl. Uh, And when she heard of what had happened to Naaman and this illness that he had, she said, oh, do you know, if he could just see the man of God, Elisha, uh, back in Israel. And Naaman goes, and there's a whole story about his pride and, and all the rest of it, and how he washes in the River Jordan, and he's cured of his leprosy. And he says, now I know. He'd come to know God. And I think when you look at both Naaman's story, which is in Second Kings chapter 5, And you look at the story of Jethro and they're both saying, now I know. What's happening there is you've got outsiders, not people from Israel, who are experiencing something of the uniqueness and the power of God and are coming to a point where they're saying, now I know. And I think that's actually a really important theme in, in the Bible. God had, a, God had a plan in the Old Testament. He had a plan for Israel. He, he chose Abraham. He blessed Abraham. He blessed Abraham's descendants. And there's a whole story of what God does through Israel in the Old Testament. But what's clear is that God's plan was not just to stay within Israel. His plan was that Ultimately, from Israel, there would be a light to the nations. In fact, he'd already said it to Abraham, hadn't he? He said to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And of course, ultimately, he's pointing forward to Jesus and to the gospel. But in Isaiah 49, one of the famous servant songs, he talks talks to Israel and he talks to the servant. And he says to the servant, I'm going to make you a light to the nations so that my salvation will go to the ends of the earth. And that's the language that Paul uses in Acts chapter 13. And so what you get in the, what you get even in the Old Testament is this idea that God is at work in his people for the good of his people. But the idea is that that spills out as a witness to the wider world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, and so on. To declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and brought you into his glorious light. That's the mission of the church, isn't it? For us, as the people of God. 
It is to have God working in us and among us and through us, not just for ourselves and for our own good, but it's so that something of who God is spills out to people who are on the outside and they say, now I know that there's no God like the Lord. Jethro was a foreigner. second thing about him is that he was a father, or uh, if you want to be very particular about it, he was a father-in-law. I think there are There are about 12 references to Jethro as Moses' father-in-law in in this chapter. You can can count them. I've counted them at different times. I'm obviously not a very good counter because I've come up with different answers at different times. But I think think it's 12. You you can confirm that. Uh, Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 2, where they originally meet, uh, you discover that he's got a different name. He's got the name Ruel. Uh, I think Ruel and Jethro are, are, are two different names simply for, for the one person. Uh, and we don't, we, don't need to worry, we don't need to worry too much about it. But it's in, it's in chapter 2 of, of Exodus that, that he meets Moses for the first time. Moses is on the run from Egypt. He's just killed uh, an Egyptian. He's had to escape um, because um, he, he's aware that what he has done has become known. And so he's on the run, goes on the run, finds himself in Midian helps out uh, the daughters of Jethro, who are, who are shepherdesses, um, helps them out. They go home. Father says to them, well, you, you got the sheep fed quite quickly today. It usually takes you longer. What happened? And they say, well, there was an Egyptian who helped us today. And the father says, well, where is he? And they say, well, just kind of left them out there. So bring him in. So he welcomes them home. And Jethro, uh, and Moses eventually marries one of the daughters whose name is Zipporah. Um, and so begins this relationship uh, of Moses with Jethro, his father-in-law. Later, in chapter 3, we discover that Moses is tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So th- there's, a, there's obviously a relationship that goes, that's a 40-year span. There's a relationship that goes for 40 years. It's a, it's a trusted relationship. It trusts him to, to look after his sheep. Um, and you kind of would, would love to know in, in many ways just, just a little bit more about that relationship. We've got, we've got plenty of clues about the relationship. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, there's, there's an aspect of trust in it because he's looking, he's looking after the flock of his father-in-law. Um, there's also uh, there's a warmth that's in it, which you see in chapter 18. Uh, there's this welcome that he gives to him. Because remember that Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses is in a very vulnerable place. It's interesting that the, that the daughters of Jethro go home and they say, an Egyptian helped us today. Well, we know that Moses wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. But then was he also an Egyptian? Uh, and, and Moses actually finds himself, at that particular point in his life, with, with a bit of an identity crisis. He didn't quite know where he belonged. In fact, he didn't really belong anywhere. He, he identified with the Hebrews, but the Hebrews had rejected him. He'd been brought up by the Egyptians and educated by the Egyptians, but the Egyptians were after him. So he ends up in Midian. And actually, when his first son is born, he calls him Gershom because Gershom sounds like a sojourner, somebody who doesn't really belong here. And he says, well, th- this sums up my story. I don't, I don't really know where I belong. And it's that moment of vulnerability in his life that Jethro welcomes him in and establishes this relationship of warmth 
uh, and of encouragement. And of course, when he comes to see him in chapter 18, uh, he, he he gives him great encouragement. You wonder how the story evolved. You know, imagine the conversation, the first, the first day they have the conversation and, and, and it, it becomes clear that, uh, that Moses is not actually an Egyptian at all. Jethro says, so you're not actually an Egyptian? Why do you look like an Egyptian? And what are you doing here anyway? Who did you kill? So the Egyptians are at, you know, you imagine all of those, all of those kind of things that would, that would have been going on. Must have been some fascinating conversations, but they worked their way through. They worked their way through all that, and there's this very warm relationship that, that, that is that is established. Warmth, encouragement, affirmation, and concern—all things that you can see in the relationship between Jethro, the father-in-law, and Moses, his son. You know, sometimes I've, I've heard people talk about Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy, and maybe you've heard people talk about it in, in this way. They'll say something like. Do you know, everybody, in the, everybody needs to have in their life a, a, a Paul, a, a, a person who's spiritually mature and wise, who can, can, can help them and teach them and mentor them and advise them. And everybody needs to have a Barnabas in their life, you know, someone who's maybe kind of on, on, their, on the same level, again, an encourager. And everybody should have a Timothy in, in their life, somebody who's younger, that, that, that they're training and, and investing in. Um, I've heard people talk like that and I think there's value in thinking like that but I've come to think recently and maybe, maybe it's uh, partly because of the stage of life that, that I'm at I've, I've come to see the significance of a figure like Jethro and here's Jethro who reaches out and welcomes a younger man who's in the middle of his life who's really in a bit of a crisis and he welcomes him he provides for him when it comes to chapter 18 and he visits with him he he affirms him he encourages him he demonstrates an interest he demonstrates concern for him and I've, I've come to think do you know maybe there are a lot of younger people around and what they need is Jethro's in their lives And so, if I can put it fairly directly, to those of us who are maybe in the second half of of our life, of course, none of us us knows that, exactly when the second half of our life begins. But for those of us who, let's say we're, you know, getting on a little bit, I wonder what possibilities there might be for us to be Jethro figures to younger people. People who maybe you find a younger person and you say, so what's, what's happening in your life at the minute? What's God doing in your life at the minute? People who can provide stability, maybe at a time of questioning. People who can provide affirmation at a time of doubt. Jethro figures. Now, Ladies, I, I realise I've talked about Paul and Barnabas and Timothy. They're all men. I've talked about Jethro, and he's a man as well. Let me throw out a little phrase for you to think about. It was said of Deborah, uh, one of the judges in the book of Judges, that she was a mother in Israel. And so 
the same encouragement to men folk to watch out for those younger men to whom you could be a Jethro I would say to you ladies who have got some maturity and experience in terms of the Christian faith are there younger women that you can watch out for provide that same kind of affirmation and encouragement that Jethro provides for Moses he was a foreigner who came to know the true God and he was a father who invested so much by way of encouragement in the life of his son-in-law Moses and the third thing which really occupies the second half of the chapter is what I've described as a friend and it's the concern that he has for Moses and for the people uh, in, in relation to this business of judging and settling disputes now you notice first of all that he observes what happens so in verse 13 uh, it's described for us what happens Moses sits down to serve as the judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening now here's another exercise remember last week uh, we thought about how long can you keep, how long can you keep your hand up could you keep it up for more than 10 minutes at a time without it getting weary well here's another one try standing around all day from morning till evening just standing there waiting for someone to answer your query you know it's a it's a little bit like uh, when you when you phone uh, you know you phone someone for for this you press one and for that you press two and for the next one you press three and one of our agents will be with you but we've got you know quite a lot of people who are on the line at the moment and you're number 245 in the list but don't don't put your phone down because if you do you lose your place uh, and, and at least there's music to listen that's dreadful music usually but at least there's music to listen to these people are standing around Moses all day just just try it standing there waiting for somebody to answer your question and uh, his father-in-law verse 14 sees what's happening and says well, what, what are you doing explain it and Moses does explain it in verse 15 and 16 and, and, and then Jethro says in verse 17 what you're doing is not good you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And here's the efficiency expert uh, coming in. You know, one, one thing to observe in this uh, is, is I, I think, is the value of someone from the outside bringing a different perspective on something. You know, you could imagine Moses and, you know, Moses would say something like, well, this is the way that we've always done it. What other way is there to do it anyway? Do you, do you know, have you ever heard language like that, especially around the church? You know, we've, we, we, this, is, this is how we do it. We've always done it like this. Why would we ever want to change? And sometimes it takes an outsider to take a look at a thing and say, but you're doing, what you're, what, why are you doing that? that that's, that's a crazy thing that you're doing. Why not think about doing it in a different way? The value of an outsider's uh, perspective. But, but it's motivated. He's not a, he's not a cold uh, consultant who's going to charge £6,500 at the end of the day when he's given his advice. But, but this, is, this is out of a concern. He says, Moses, this load is too heavy for you. It wasn't the last time that, Moses would be, that, we, that we would read something about Moses and the heavy load that he had to carry. You read Numbers chapter 11. For example, and you see more about that. He was concerned for Moses, his son-in-law. But he's also concerned for the people. And he realizes 
that the people, uh, they're going to suffer as well. You know, it's too much for Moses to have to handle all of these, these uh, disputes and so on. It's too much for him to have to do that. But it's too much for the people standing around there listening to the on-hold music uh, from dawn till dusk, just hoping that eventually they'll get an appointment with Moses. He says, it's just going to wear everybody out. And so he proposes a solution. You know, let, get some, of the, get, get some uh, qualified people, he says, capable people. Uh, people in verse 21 who fear God, they're trustworthy, hate dishonest gain. And, and give them a role to play. Put some of them in charge of thousands, some of them in charge of hundreds, fifties and tens. So get, get the whole thing organized and have a system in place so that you, Moses, only need to deal with the difficult cases. Um, and, and of course, Moses could, could go on teaching uh, the decrees and the laws and showing them the way to live and the duties that they were to perform in, in verse 20. So he, do, he, he does demonstrate some kind of efficiency. Uh, he doesn't do it without reference to God. You notice, I think it's in verse 23. He says there, if you do this and God so commands, or if you do this and God is with you, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home, uh, will go home satisfied. So Moses, it will be a lot better for you because you'll be able to sustain all of this. And the people, they'll be much happier as well because they're not hanging around all day just waiting for you to, d- to deliver a, a verdict. I mean, there is something to be said for efficiency, isn't there? Even in churches. I see Leslie's down here, and Leslie has probably sat in enough office bearers meetings and church general meetings. He could probably write an encyclopedia about, about how, churches, how churches do business. And I'm sure if, if you were to ask him nicely, he, he maybe would tell you there's been the old time when it's been less than completely efficient. I know I've certainly sat in, in meetings that haven't always been as efficient. It's not, and it's not just the domain of the church either. You can be sat in meetings in work where people are practically banging their heads off the table in frustration at, at just how inefficient everything is. We could, always, we could all do with a bit of efficiency, couldn't we? And it's Jethro, this is the travelling mercy. Jethro from the outside comes in and says, well, here's some ideas, and if God is with you in this, you know, this, this, will, be, this will be so much better. It's interesting that a little later on, Numbers 11 again, um, there's, a, there's a similar, similar thing happens where Moses is, is, is really breaking under the pressure and the strain of the people uh, and their complaints and so on. And he's saying to God, God look, if, if, this is, if this is how you're going to treat me, just give me the exit door now. I've had enough of it. I can't, I can't do it. These are not my people. I didn't, I didn't bring them into this world. Why are you weighing me down with all, of, with all of this? And the Lord there says, okay, Moses, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take some of the spirit that you assemble, 70 of the elders, take some of the spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on the elders. And there's a strange little incident that happens. The elders come out, the spirit comes on them, they prophesy, they're, they're, they're anointed in order to be able to share uh, responsibility with Moses. But there are two of them, this is a strange thing, there are two of them called Eldad and Medad. And they haven't actually come out to gather with everybody else, but they've, sort of, they've, they've stayed in the camp. And they start to prophesy as well, the Spirit's been put on them. And Joshua gets really annoyed about it. Joshua, who's Moses' assistant, he gets really annoyed about it. And he says, Moses, will we, will we tell them to stop? 
And Moses says, well, hang on a minute, Joshua, are you jealous on my account? And Moses says this, he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that he would pour out his spirit on all of them. That was the spirit that Moses had. And you know, when Moses talks like that, the fulfillment of that actually comes about on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit comes on men and women and young and old. And God puts his spirit on all his people. And you read through parts of the New Testament, you discover that God's plan is that as he puts his spirit on, on all of his people, he empowers us and equips us to serve him. Every part of the body has a role to play. The ministry is shared. There's something for everyone to contribute. And that's such a different picture from the picture of Moses in chapter 18, who's sitting there, some people think almost like a little mini king, and he's sitting there and everybody's around him and they're gathered around him all day. And God's vision in the church is that the ministry is shared as each one does their part. So he's a friend who demonstrates concern and provides advice. He's a father who gives affirmation and stability to Moses and encouragement to Moses in the middle of Moses' life. So important. And he's a foreigner. Traveling mercies from an unexpected source. And in this little story, and we've made several observations about it, but in this little story, we see that, you know, God is, God is bigger than, than just Israel, isn't he? Here's advice coming from an unexpected source. But there's also this idea that God wants to make himself known. That's what he'd said to Pharaoh back in the whole episode of the plagues. I've raised you up to make myself known. People would know that, that my glory would be known. God wants to make himself known through his people. And you know, we are, here we are in, in this, uh, I'll use the word unprecedented, it's the word that everybody uses, but we're here in these unprecedented times. And as the church, let's get our focus back on what the mission is that God has given to us. That he wants to be among us in a real and vibrant way. That he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. For our good and for our blessing but also for his glory. And so that people like the Jethro's, the outsiders, are going to come along and they're going to say, well, from what, from what I can see that's happening, now I know that there is no God like the Lord. May God bless his word to us.